Hi, friends, and welcome to We're Already Here, a podcast about celebrating who we are through the highs and lows and understanding the story that we've created for ourselves. Today, I am welcoming my best friend, Lewis, to the podcast. Lewis has spent his career in energy trading at various financial institutions in New York City. He is also one of the most resilient people I have ever met. Lewis, in his not-so-long career, has had to build himself back up from multiple blows in the past couple of years and has done it with so much strength and without ever losing sight of his life, his joy, and his loved ones. So, Lewis, I am so excited to have you on because I really think you, as someone so early in your career, have a very unique story of picking yourself back up through... Just, just multiple blows that I think people usually don't experience until later in their career and a little bit more of a safety net, I think, an experience safety net or a financial safety net. So I'm really honored that you would come on and share your story with me. I know it takes a lot. Well, thank you very much for that intro. That was very flattering. And yes, I have had some very unfortunate breaks along the way, but I'm here and I'm happy to be here. Yay. Okay. Right before this call, you sent me a Instagram post that was someone speaking about resources versus resourcefulness. Why don't you give an explanation of what the video was? And then we'll talk about it because I know we have very contrary views on this. So yeah, in this post, Tony Robbins, I'm not the biggest Tony Robbins fan, but this post is particularly good. And in the post, he says that he hears many people uh, saying, oh, I, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, I don't have the, the number of Supreme Court justices I needed to win that case, to win the 2000 election. The Supreme Court justices was referring to the, the Bush v. Gore in 2000. He says, I don't have all this stuff, but ultimately, you know, you are your greatest resource. You, you are the source. Like, you're the source of everything in your life, basically, is what I believe. And at the end, he goes into some other mumbo jumbo about burning your ships and all that. <laughs> As an aside, the burning the ships... Hold on, I'm being interrupted. Hi, Ba. Oh, you are. I'm I'm recording a uh, podcast interview. Do you do you need your space? You've met Lewis. Yes. Do you have anything to say to my listeners? No, I don't know that you listen. Me either. Oh, okay. (laughs) Guys, good job. Good job, guys. Keep following the other. It's good. Maybe it's a little ugly, but it's good. Thank you, Ba. I'm sure my listeners will appreciate that. No, no, it's not ugly. I'm kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. So, burning the ships. I'm about burning the ships, but I'm not about what he said before that. So, what I want to hear is why you are in support of what he said about resources and resourcefulness. Yeah, I mean, obviously, your resources will help you get to where you need to go. And those with more resources will just naturally achieve more. But at the end of the day, you can have those resources and still not be a successful person, right? Um, it, it really takes your own resourcefulness. An example I give of this is the Kardashian family. This is going to sound please go for silly, it. But you you look at all the Kardashian kids, but you have uh, the two who are the two younger ones, Kylie and Kendall, right? And Kylie has big makeup empire at this point. So Kylie and Kendall, despite having similar upbringings and the same resources. Kylie was the one who decided to use her resources. She was resourceful, and hence she's a quote-unquote self-made billionaire. I don't believe she's a billionaire. I don't believe it was self-made, but arguably she's more successful than Kendall, right? Despite having all of the same resources, she just happened to be more resourceful, and I believe that's true in life. 
like you are the ultimate source. Like you are the source. There's many resources around you. You control your destiny and your mindset. There's external factors, but at the end of the day, things down to you. Right. And I agree with that on the top end. I think on the other end, what he was saying did sound a little bit classist, right? So it's like, okay, at some point we all, the only resources we all need is ourselves to like scrape by. But if you're like, look at these two people, this person came from a dirt poor immigrant family, couldn't, didn't have the credit or funds to go to school, to college, to higher education. While this person comes from like a very well off family near a metropolitan area, their parents paid for their college, their stay. They were completely comfortable. They didn't have to work in college. They were able to dedicate all their time to their studies. They had the network from their Like, so, you know, so when you look at things like that, that is sort of the issue I had with it. Yes, absolutely. I think at the end of the day, you could have every resource in the world. And if you don't have those internal resources, yeah, nothing's going to happen. But it's definitely a little bit class to say like, oh, you have the time or money. You just don't have the willpower. I don't know. Oh, that, yeah. that did not sit well with me. Oh, yeah. No, I, I agree with that statement. A hundred ten percent. Yeah, there, there is. Um, I understand the whole class, the classist argument. I agree with that entirely because you know at the end of the day people say oh look at jeff bezos you know, he's the richest man in the world you know he came from nothing it's like hold on this man did not come from nothing okay he was he was a program trader at de shaw one of the largest hedge funds on wall street right making upwards of a million dollars a year in his mid-20s right so this man had a tremendous 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 amount of resources behind him when he started amazon Amazon wasn't started with some guy who couldn't find two pennies rubbed together. This is a man with millions of dollars of personal and family seed capital. Same thing with Elon Musk, right? He was a billionaire long, long before Tesla was invented. You know, he made his money back in, in, the, in the, the PayPal eBay days, right? That's how he made his first billions. And he made money before that through his family and his family money, right? His dad was involved in businesses in uh, Botswana in South Africa. Yes, I believe, but there's many people that have the resources who are just not resourceful enough to use them. So basically you have to use the stuff around you. Yeah, and I think resourcefulness actually plays back into your your story really well. So like, you know this more than anyone. I am so much of the belief that we create our realities. We are only miserable if we choose to be miserable, which might be like, woo woo fluffy whatever but that's 100% what I believe I will say though the one person who has tested this theory the most and proved this theory the most is you because since I've known you I have truly never met anyone with worse luck I mean we've been saying this since college like like years ago you're truly a victim of circumstance (laughs) so often but you manage to take it in stride and build yourself back better every single time. And to have you in my life, it's truly been an honor to watch you grow so much over all these years. Thank you for uh, hyping me up there so much. <laughs> it's a uh, very, very nice thing for you to say. I think you've definitely sold me hard there. You definitely sold me very hard. Maybe we'll come back at the end. We have the serious stories about how you've had bad luck and been knocked down, but maybe that we can talk about the funny stories. Can we just jump in now? Let's get the, let's cut to the chase. So remember when me, you, and another friend of ours were out at a bar and this guy oh, no. punched you in the face? Oh, yeah, yeah. Out of nowhere? So we were, the stories me, Rhoda, and a couple other friends. There was a lot of us there that night. There was like five or six of us, if okay. I remember correctly. But like a couple were in the bathroom. Some were up by, in the near the front door of the stage area. 
I was in the back by the bar, kind of between the bathroom and the front stage. So I go to order the drinks and I'm turning around and looking I'm like, where, where is everyone? And so it's in the bar, it's me. And then right to my immediate right is a girl and to her immediate right is this guy. And the guy says, Hey, are you hitting my girlfriend? Did you touch her ass? So I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gay. Like I'm not even, like, I'm not even into women. Like I'm not doubting it happened. As a matter of fact, so someone probably did touch her ass and I, I'm here to help you get to the bottom of this and get to the stop the case right like, like i'm, I'm, like, I'm like, like, like i'm on your side buddy like i'm in 100,000 like, i'm your agreement. side and i'm playing for your team in more ways than one um yeah like i'll help you out right so it wasn't me but i 100 believe like, it happened because this, this stuff happens yeah and i was like you know like let's find the master who did this to you right like let's let's get to it and he goes bro you can't be touching my girlfriend yeah i was like you know like, i'll buy you a drink right like i just like man just one piece so i'm, I'm just I don't, I don't want. I don't want any problems. I don't want any trouble. Right. Right. So he, he, I think he calmed down, or I thought he calmed down. Boy, was I wrong. So I turn around to order the drinks. I'm gonna order now one drink and one for him. That's girlfriend at this point. So I'm doing that. I'm like, hmm, where is everyone? So as as I physically turn around, I turn my head. Boom! I just get cold cocked. Like I don't even see it coming. On the let me tell you what's happened on the other side of the bar. So me and my friends are having a grand old time, and then <laughs> one of the bouncers who was our friend who's working that night comes over to us and he's like he's like yo yo like Louis Louis just got rocked in the face like Louis just got rocked in the face back to you Louis so my side of the bar I was turning around boom I get cold cocked and broke my nose and like it wasn't even like he was like squaring off against me and then just just hit me and I could defend myself he literally reached around like a hook basically and boom like as I was turning around he just got like I didn't even see the guy right and also saw, for the for so everyone knows Lewis is literally a black belt. Lewis can hold his own. He's not like this weak ass boy who got rocked in the face. Like it was just so unexpected. Yeah, like I'm not I'm not like jacked or anything. I used to be more in shape and stronger, but like I, I could I've been in other fights before where right. I fought my own against three guys once. So like I don't know what's going on here. So yeah, anyways, broke my nose. It's like, buddy, like I'm I'm on your side. Like, no one should be touching your girlfriend's ass. Not one, right? Like, I'm here to help you solve it. And meanwhile, you know, I, I get cold cocked. And, and then, thank God, we knew the bouncers. I mean, there, there, there's a silver lining, right? Like, we knew yeah. that we knew the bouncers. I knew all the bouncers working that night, actually. Yeah. They helped me up and they, they walked me back. And home. then after that, you didn't just get your nose broken. You also have had sinus issues for five years now since yeah. that happened. Well, yeah. So I've had sinus issues my whole life, but after getting my nose broken, my sinus issues like got a little bit worse. Like ever since I was a little kid, I had a deviated septum and like swollen turbinates. And deviated septum, you know, you can get a nose shot for that covered by insurance. Yeah, I'm I'm going, I'm going to in a Look couple months. Out. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that'd tell you. I had my consultation like Will they do like a little two for one. Uh yeah, you want one? Yeah. <laughs> I, I give the best friend discount. So, like I said at the beginning, you have really been able to take these blows in stride and rebuild yourself back better every single time. So, I think my first question, overarching question, is how have you developed the skills to bounce back each time? I'll just give you a brief rundown, like a little of my professional history, and then tell you how I come back and manage all that. So, graduated college and I started working, and then Eight months into the first job, I was a junior energy trader at an investment bank in New York. Eight months into that, I was laid off. I wasn't laid off that day, but basically they walked everyone in in energy trading and said, hey, all of you guys are fired, except the analysts who are the youngest people and the managing directors who are the oldest people. 
He said, all you guys can stay on and help basically sell the business and unwind it and close it down for the next like year. But they said, in the meantime, like look for a job, like go somewhere else and like start applying. We'll give, we'll give you resources to help you find the job. And they didn't give me any resources to find the job. It was just me like on my own. So that was very, you know, you're eight months into it. Not even, I think it was six or seven months into it at that point. And it's like, okay, I have no real skills, no contacts, right? Like it's kind of hard to get a job. Like in that capacity, you're six months out. Like most of the banks and financial institutions just hire their interns. So there's not like a thousand junior openings at any given time. So fortunately through a, like six months later, through a headhunter, I found a new job. A year and a half later, I got laid off from that job. And that's where we are today. Um, so it's, you know, you get laid off twice in three years at no fault of your own at the junior level. That's extremely uh, rough, unexpected. But the good news is this time around, I'm more prepared. I've, I've done this before. <laughs> You're like, it's so Search much easier when job. you've already gotten yeah. laid off. <laughs> yeah, twice. This, this is like a cakewalk this time. Like, this, oh is, my goodness. this is nothing like are you kidding? Like, so at this point, you could like coach it. Yeah, I should. So, okay, yeah. that's what you should do. You know what? Don't that's even look a new for business, a new job. Yeah. Just become a life coach. Get how to find a job at junior level. Right, exactly. Um, but, so the question, how have the developed skills to bounce back? So as you said before, it just requires a lot of resilience. And uh, this is going to sound sort of like just positive thinking and resilience. And every time you get hit down, you just have to try and like, there's always like there's always a ray of sunshine or a grain of salt. There's always a little something to look forward to. And any small victory you have, just celebrate the daylights out of that victory. Like any small victory. I am so yeah. about that. Anything at all. So that little period from like April through October of 2019, when I was purgatory, basically, I was still at my old employer helping sell the business and finding a new job. I was working a tremendous amount of hours then, helping unwind it. Like there's just tons to do. Mm-hmm. and it was if you weren't performing they would just let you go mm-hmm. so if you so you had to make yourself valuable because at any given moment they could just say you're fired you're not adding value to the team so everyone was working really hard because you wanted to prove that hey don't let me off basically. right working working very hard for the bare minimum yeah it's not even positive reinforcement it's yeah if i don't work hard i'm losing this job you're not even working towards a bonus which i can only imagine is so demoralizing and if you slip up any mistake like they, they lay a guy off like a month in because he like didn't show up on announced one day or he basically wasn't pulling his weight and then like they laid him off after like two days of like not doing what he needed to. yeah it was really really serious at the very beginning but then it got a little more relaxed as we realized this process was going to be longer than i initially thought so, but yeah, it's just, so any small victory I was celebrating, but also during that time I was depressed. I had a lot of personal stuff going on. Oh yeah. My, my boyfriend had just moved to London. We had been dating like at that point, nine or 10 months. It was, I had, it was very sick at the time. I had vermin infestation in my apartment. Parents had marital problems. I had friends moving away. It was just, it was just dark, dark financially. I, like I was not doing as well as I wanted, but I learned to save and that all this stuff it felt like the world right. was caving in on me oh absolutely i remember that period yeah, and just was... and i i feel like very often you and i are very good at being the positive light for each other and you and i i think one of the reasons we become so close because we can be that that beacon of positivity yeah for each other i do remember this time though just watching you just get hit again and again and again and i was like i don't know how lewis is doing this you really yeah. just took it in stride. So how would you advise someone 
not to get stuck in the troughs. I think most people probably don't go through a period like you did. That was really tough. But even just the minor dips in life, how do you advise someone not to get stuck in those? Yeah. So like just the big thing is celebrate any small victory. Like I remember there was one point and I want to say it was in July. It was just after my boyfriend had moved to London. I had basically gotten over the sickness. One day just went away. And I was like, I had a, had a whole party. I literally yeah, had a party. I threw a party at my friend's place. Yeah, I was like, I for one victory, right? Like, I didn't do anything for this. It just went away on its own. Or like any little work thing I would do at that time, I would celebrate like like the daylights out of. Yeah. So, yeah. And you just always have to look forward to mm-hmm. the next thing. Like, that's one thing I've learned. You can be backwards looking and it's good to reflect on stuff that's happened, but you can't think about it and you have to like die another day is, is what I, that's what I always say, die another Absolutely. day. Absolutely. It's so much about living in the present too. And just being like, wow, all this terrible stuff is happening, but oh, look, this one little happy thing. And I am very much with that. I think if you have hope, you can really get through the worst. I mean, you and I have said this all the time where we're just, we've just hit rock bottom and we're like, well, only way to go is up. I am with you 100%. I mean, I have the word hope tattooed on my body. I think that is the one thing that can get you through anything. You just have to believe that there's another good thing coming. Oh, absolutely. No, I 100% agree. I mean, you go through these tough periods and there's an expression like, you know, die another day or play another hand, like something really bad that happened to you yesterday. It probably will mentally impact you for a little while. You have to do everything you can to just focus on the task in hand and just get it done, whatever it is. Focus on making the correct decision every yeah. step of the way and make, try and make the decisions independently of each other. Don't let like, oh, I'm in a bad mood because, you know, my grandma's sick. I'd say, oh, I have a job interview coming up. I need to, as hard as that is, I need to just focus on the pros and cons of this job interview and what's going on here and not let my, you know, depression from my grandma being sick impact that or my parents fighting impact how, I handle my own sickness at that time or my own financial, whatever it was, everything has to be thought of logically and rationally. And that's what I, Absolutely. That's what I do. But in coming out of the troughs though, especially when the multiple bad things happen to you is developing something called frustration tolerance, frustration tolerance. Okay. And this is an actual psychological term. I, I think uh, some people are born with it. Others you can develop. It's, it's, it's basically, it, it's exactly what it sounds like your ability to tolerate bad things happening to you in life. Right. So someone with very high frustration tolerance, they tend to be more patient. They tend to tend to handle stress better. They tend to perform very, very well in extremely stressful situations. But someone with a low frustration tolerance, they can have many negative side effects. You can't really weather the storms of life very well. You have a very difficult time with uh, addiction and relationships and friendships because you're getting frustrated so easily and you're just getting overwhelmed. You tend to have like a lot of body and confidence issues too. All right. And this is like side effects of having a low frustration tolerance. And classic example of people with low frustration tolerance mm-hmm. is gay men who traveled to Puerto Vallarta for New Year's and, and Christmas oh. during the, that time when COVID was going on because they had such a low frustration tolerance. They needed to get out of New York or Chicago or whatever city it was they're in and go to Puerto Vallarta because they couldn't handle the stresses of life. So wow. they just escaped yeah a lot of escapism and it's so is, frust- is frustration tolerance something that you're born with or is it some a skill that you can develop both both some people are just born like very also the way they're but frustration tolerance you can be born with you can also have it uh, develop in your childhood right some people just naturally they have they have tough lives right like uh, people survivors of war genocide and refugees tend to have exceptional frustration tolerance because they've been through so much right 
So it is a skill you can develop, and there are ways, there are coping mechanisms online that you can develop. I've I've practiced developing it. It's something that you have to really, if you don't have it, I recommend you practice. And a lot of this is just handling stress, breathing exercises, being patient, giving yourself mm-hmm. a prep talk. Like a good example is waiting in lines. People with low frustration tolerance, they don't like waiting in lines. They can't do it. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not, it's so bad for them. Stress them out. And with your subconscious will prevent you from doing things that will lead you to become frustrated, right? People with low frustration tolerance, subconscious, they're like, I don't want to do this. They don't want to know why. Because the it'll lead to a negative emotion. To frustration, which they don't like. Yeah. Okay. So their brains will tell them not to do certain things. So you could do this, give yourself prep talks. You can, you know, write stuff down. One concept that I really like is training this idea of emotional impermanence. And I think it's from what I'm understanding about frustration tolerance, it's one of the ways to build it. So emotional impermanence is basically understanding one, your feelings are not fact. And two, that any emotion that you're feeling will go away and be replaced with a different emotion that goes for positive and negative emotions. There's plenty of people in this world where when they get really happy, they also get sad because they're like, oh no, like I'm not going to be this happy forever. Like it's going to go away and I'm going to be sad again. So in these moments of highs, they're still already preemptively missing the emotion that they're feeling right now, which is such a complex mindset to be in. But regardless, the, the idea of emotional permanence is emotions are not permanent their fleeting will be replaced by another emotion and accepting that accepting that right now I feel really sad but ultimately at one point it's going to be replaced with a different emotion or if I'm happy just saying just sitting in the moment I am happy right now and yes it will go away and I accept that it's going to go away I think this practice of being aware of the impermanence and accepting it is a way of building this frustration tolerance also meditation as a whole i think the biggest struggle with me with meditation is i just get bored and my mind's like going to my to-do list that emotion for me bored is what is the biggest blockade to me in my meditation practice and i feel like boredom is one of those entry emotions into frustration it is it is you become bored and you become agitated and you're like oh oh um why am I doing this and get upset and just, you just can't handle it. So you just, you just stop whatever it is you're doing, but it is, Yeah. but that, that's my trick to staying positive. Like right now I'm unemployment looking for a job. I know that whew, just got to calm down and realize that you think good things will happen, you know, bad things and good things will happen. And I can't possibly predict what's going to happen next. So just keep taking it in stride. Mentally prepare yourself. You know, bad things will happen to you at some point. And when they happen, yeah. just be ready for that. Right. To happen at any moment. Yeah. And you just got to keep grinding. It's You don't have much of a choice when your choice is to, you know, succeed or fail. You just have to do it. There's no, right. got to go out and do it. Burn in the ships. Burn it. Yeah, literally. Literally. You just, just got to burn your ships and go all in. Like you no, have to. for sure. So you've, you've shared how, like, you stay positive to these things. How do you stay emotionally available? Because that's another thing I very, I very much noticed yeah. with you. Despite what you're going through, you are so emotionally available for your friends that I think is harder than staying positive. Like, because staying positive is I'm showing up for myself. I am emotionally available for myself. Extending that to others during these tough times, totally different story. Yeah, so it goes back to what I was saying, how you have to like make decisions independently and like compartmentalize a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
And there's such things, extreme compartmentalization. People lead like almost different lives. That's extreme. And that's not really good for you. You want some blending in your life, but you always have to realize what's important in life. Like, oh, my friends are obviously value my friends and family. And I want, I want to want to let my, my work situation or my, I wouldn't want to let that impact my relationship with my friend, but always set aside time for them. And that, that, that is hard just being emotionally available, but it goes back to just separating the things in your life. It's, it's a skill that takes a long time to build. It's not easy Absolutely. to build that or do that. Yeah. The compartmentalization is tough, but it does, it does benefit. I mean, you and I have stayed so close because I really do think that mm-hmm. not to toot our horns are yeah. very good at that, are very yeah. good at setting the right level of compartmentalization because through the highs and the lows, through getting into new relationships and new jobs and are, like family issues and job issues and all that, you and I, I think are very good at staying available for yeah. our friends. You and I also very actively reach out to our friends. So I think we, not to our own horn, I think we do that do that quite well. And I think it's why you and I have gotten so close over these past eight years. I 100% agree. And that's, you know, it's part of, it's also like channeling your feelings from those other areas of your life. So for example, it's like during those dark times, I was very angry, very sad, depressed and confused. I never took that out on you. I would talk to you about that, but like, hey, I'm really like upset mm-hmm. these days at work. But I'll never yeah. take my anger out on you or, or anyone for that matter. Yeah. I would just simply channel it to something else, find something to channel it into, whether it be a hobby or you like whether it's working out or reading That's or mine. playing chess or hiking. Yeah. I'm like, Lewis, I can't talk. I'm going on an angry run right now. Yeah. yeah like, I, like I'll read or I'll listen to music or I'll listen to a podcast. It helps me clear my head. Just channel your emotions and anger to something so that way you can be available for those around you who you love. And so you're not just taking your anger or frustration out on someone. Like you, Yeah. And you've really offered a lot of good nuggets of advice how do you take all of these things and consciously apply them to the next struggle? Because one thing you and I hashed over a ton a couple years ago is that you would go through this bad situation, you would learn from it, and then not apply that lesson to the next struggle. And I feel like finally you started doing it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So sometimes like you make the same mistake over <laughs> And over yeah, you're like, and why? over, and you're wondering, you're doing right. the same thing. You're like, what is going on? Why am I? Why am? Why are the results the same? I'm making because you're doing the same thing. So for every situation you're in, the solution is going to be different, right? Getting from point A to point B is different than getting from point B to point C, right? So every struggle and journey you have is going to be different, but you can take the lessons and apply them. So when you're facing a challenge, I, I go about these things and I'm. I'm a very organized person generally. Like I'm very like, like you've seen my closet, right? Like I have every shirt just perfectly yeah. folded. I have spreadsheets that manage chunks of my life. I mean, my desk is cluttered, but beyond that, I have I'm very like methodical when I do things. So for example, um, when I'm applying for like a job right now, I go through and I'm like, okay, well, what worked last time? What didn't work? So I wrote all this down. Like this was good. This was not good this is bad, right? I know, for example, that applying these types of roles, they're not good because these guys will never get back to you. But sending the email this way or this time will. So it's just all about staying organized, going about your problems in like a methodical and organized way will help you overcome them better. And just really thinking longer term, like the whole, like a plan. So if you have a relationship problem or you have a work problem or a health problem, whatever problem it is, you have to plan this out. You have to think like five or six steps ahead. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think following a methodology and an action plan 
I think it's so instrumental to achieving any goal, whether it's get to the next day or if it's a grandiose type of goal. I think a set methodology and action plan is the way to get from point A to point B in any situation. Agreed. So this podcast is about celebrating the lows just as much as the highs in your life. As we said, you and I are very into celebrating any moment that we can. Can you tell me about a struggle in your life that sucked while you were going through it, but looking back now, you celebrate it? What did that struggle give you today that you cherish? Oh, yeah. Easily when I was looking for a job summer of 2019. So at the bank I worked for at the time, that, so it was in April was when they said everyone in this division is getting laid off. And it wasn't until November, well, really technically December when I started my job, but I, I kind of had it locked up in early November. But those six months, oh man, that, that was the pits. That was, that was just a terrible time in my life, right? Like all I was thinking about was, man, I can't find a job. I'm worthless. This is terrible. But looking back now, those are the best days of my life. Like I would give an arm and a leg to go back to that. I would do absolutely anything, anything to go back. I wasn't working a ton. I mean, there were some weeks I was working a lot, but I was learning a lot. I was really enjoying myself or trying to enjoy myself at work and, and really living it all despite facing a lot of other problems. And it was really a fun time. I had a lot of fun at that time too. Yeah. I think it's so important to find outlets of fun when you're going through those terrible times. I know when I went through pretty bad a while back, one thing I was, and it happened right as COVID hit. So fun things kind of were off the table, but I would be FaceTiming you all the time. Like I would do all the stupid Zoom game nights. I was like, I'm just going to find any opportunity to have a good time here. Um, and I think that's so important. What's your, <laughs> what are your thoughts on spirituality? What do, you, what do you mean? Do you, are you, are you religious? Like, I don't think we've talked about this. I, so I was raised Catholic. I don't, well, I'm not, I'm not Catholic. If you ask me my religion today, I would say I'm a religious, but I do believe that the mission of organized religion is it's well-intentioned, right? People of every religion, you know, there's the golden rule that happens in every culture, even in cultures that have no contact with each other, like do the right thing and treat others as you want to be treated is universal for almost every culture and major religion in the world, right? Even people like uncontacted tribes believe in that stuff. So I do believe, though, that there is some higher power. There is some, some of these coincidences just can't be explained through science or math. And I believe that maybe they can be. What the higher power is, I don't really know. And I don't, I don't, I don't have a strong belief system around that. But I've become, it's weird. I've become more spiritual with age. Usually it's the other way around for people. At least, for, at least in my family, people have given up on religion as they've gotten older. But for me, I'm starting to see it a little more and more. I don't want to say spiritual or religious, but I'm starting to understand why he would believe in that yeah. stuff. I used to not understand why he would believe. I was like, these people are they're kooks, they're they're heretics, you know, they're they're out of their minds. But now I'm I I have an understanding of why they would. Do I that. I am very much the same way as you. I kind of went through the loop de loop. So I was extremely, extremely religious growing mm-hmm. up in high school, even early college. And then I think in college, I started to question things more. I think I've always been very logical. 
and very like based in fact, based in math, based in science. So then when I was asking questions that couldn't be explained, it kind of made me lose faith. I was like, what, what do you mean you can't explain this? Yeah. But then I think as I've gotten older and I maybe even just like in the past year, to be honest with you, I'm like, wait, there's a lot of things that can't be explained by math or science. Like the reason like you fall in love with people, not, not romantically, like the reason you fall in love with some friends or you click with some friends over other people or like, I'm sure like there's some psychological things to be evaluated there. So I think there's there's an element of the unexplainable yeah. there as well. Like fate. Yeah, almost. like fate. So- As fate would have it, I yeah. Think, I think those things have built into I agree. It. I agree, but yeah, I just, I just don't believe in the organized religion side yeah. of things. For a few reasons, like especially, like I was raised Catholic, and like they always used to pass around the money bin. I don't know if they do this in other yep, religions. They did the Orthodox but uh, okay, yeah, they used to pass around the money bin, the collections bin. At the end, people would throw in like five, ten, twenty bucks. Like kids are throwing like pocket change yeah. or a dollar or something. And you know, like in your mind, like, you're thinking, oh, this is going to go help like these aging nuns and these priests and pay for their health care and their house, and yeah. some of it's going to go to like the poor people in the community, right? It's going to provide think it's like, charity. Yeah, but meanwhile, you find out that all that money was just going to pay for, like, defense attorneys for these priests that raped, like, 100 kids, and the church hid them. So it's like, why am I giving you money? It's not even like the church is doing anything to stop. But what really got me was seeing the Catholic church, like, systemically, like, like as high up as the Pope, people knew about yeah. this. And it's like, I don't remember the chapter in the Bible where they were raping little kids. Like, I, I must have missed that. Like, I don't know. Like, I was pretty religious like, growing up, but I got the Bible read a few times. I missed the point where they said, you know, go rape people in your town. Like, I don't, I don't remember that happening. Maybe it was a parable, but it wasn't the children's version of the well, Bible. Well, a conversation that I've had with, I think, a number of people. So, like, one big difference between Orthodoxy and Catholicism is our priests can get married. So we were saying, I don't even remember who I was having this conversation with, is the problem so pronounced in the Catholic church because that type of person becomes a priest in the church? Or is it because you can't get married and you're pent up? Like, I don't know. No, no. It's because that type of, so back in the old days, like I'm talking like 1800s, 1900s, if you were gay or like prior to world war ii if you were gay or lesbian you're in the catholic church you were never have any love interest openly right, right. like you would say you were a lesbian woman you weren't going to go out and start dating a woman right because the catholic church was your whole family they provided for you everything yeah. so hey hmm, i can't have any romantic interests so i might as well become a nun right and then god will heal me god will god will heal me of the homosexuality in my life god will force it out of me and additionally like you would go out to hide to basically hide Right. You would go into the priesthood to because you believe that God could heal you of the sickness. But meanwhile, obviously, that's, <laughs> that's not the case. Damn. So do you think like in the 1800s, nuns were just like big gay house parties? Like, I wonder, like, oh, were they just oh all up God, in there? Like, me? honestly, yeah, like sounds kind of fun. Are, are you kidding me? If they were like, go, God will cure you. And if not, you're with 27 other lesbians sleeping in the same room. Like, I'm in. Go, so, yeah. Where do I sign up? Yeah, like right where here. Where do I yeah. sign up? Honestly. And, and you pay for all my clothes, housing. And, okay, right, right. Give me the right, papers. Right. Yeah. That's what that was. Yeah. Lesbian people, gay people, they basically all became nuns and priests if you were Catholic to hide that. Because a nun or a priest, there's no expectation that you're going to get married to anyone, right? So there's no societal pressure for you to find a nice woman, son, right? But meanwhile, a single man, it's like, hmm, you should be getting married to a woman. But meanwhile, I'm not attracted to women, so I'm not going to, I have to go to this. It's like an out almost. It's like a, it's like a back door, like an escape. 
Right. It's like a socially acceptable way to like not get married. Yeah. Th- that is why. No, but that, that's not like my thought. That is legitimately why. Like, damn. Like devout Catholics will tell you that. That That's. Wow. Crazy. What a little interesting aside. People that are raised Catholic know this. Okay. Yeah. I mean, listen, Louis, you know more than anyone I know. So <laughs> I'm in. I'm sold. You've convinced me. Okay. Our final question here. Tell me in two minutes or less the story that you've created for yourself. One of the pillars of this podcast. So the story I've created for myself is someone who just will constantly overcome challenges in adversity of any type. Now, obviously, I'm not saying I'm some extreme survivor, like I've survived war or anything like that. But any challenge you throw at me, I think I will be able to get done, solve the problem and overcome it. And and I've proven this myself time and time again in my life. Like life's going to give you a bad hand. You have to just play around that. And I believe that is the story of my life. Just yeah, you've got you hopefully overcoming challenges. Yeah. With a very high frustration tolerance, which is a new concept that I learned today. Yes. I yeah, I sent you a video on Instagram about it, actually. Ooh, okay. I'm going to go look at it. Well, Louis, yeah. thank you for joining me over here on We're Already of Here. Course. It has been so much fun having you, and I'm sure, I'm sure you'll be back. All right. Love you. Love you, too. Hopefully, get back in a few months when I overcome this challenge, and we can, uh, we can talk about that post nose job when we both yeah. get our buddy nose jobs like friends yeah. who get nose jobs together stay together stay together i'm not gonna have a job an actual job a nose job will be the new man damn well this is fun yeah it was i enjoyed this and that was episode two of we're already here thank you so so much for listening as always any feedback questions comments give me a dm at we're already here pod on instagram that's we're already here pod on instagram the instagram is also turning into a great little source for mindfulness nuggets emotional awareness emotional education just those little tiny pieces of information that maybe we can incorporate into our lives incrementally so if that's your vibe give me a follow see you next time